Mini-episode 1590 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late-night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everybody. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1590. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris here. And we have with us today two great FDH Lounge dignitaries, two of my favorites. And, of course, they are the protagonists of the great podcast, Callous Remarks, which I have been honored to be on as a guest myself. A nice uh, synergy here under the 21st Century Media Alliance. Uh, The two gentlemen coming back on to recap the Super Bowl. They were here for our preview of Super Bowl 57. And uh, so it is wonderful to have them back on. And, uh, of course, uh, one of the two gentlemen involved uh, in this here, uh, he is, of course, also, let it be said, the, uh, the sports editor of uh, the Westchester County Post. You can find that at westchestercountypost.com. And uh, a uh, veteran of New York and Philadelphia area media, my good friend uh, from the Callus Remarks podcast, Steve Callus. And, uh, Steve, again, you and I didn't really have as much skin in the game here as our friend, but uh, I know you were uh, you were entertained by this game heartily as I was. Absolutely. Uh, it was a great game until the bitter end, and I don't even care if you're rooting for the Eagles or not. If you're just watching the game, I'm sure we'll get into it, but it was a bitter end. But uh, we should lean on the guy who was actually there, even though I know he's very disappointed. Yes, and that was, uh, I, I, I was uh, winding up for him to be the uh, cleanup hitter here of the introductions here, as it were. <laughs> I am, I'm going to start by uh, noting this uh, here, uh, that uh, we, that uh, the, the wrestling world uh, uh, tragically lost in uh, January one half of the great tag team, the Briscoe brothers, Jay Briscoe, and uh, they, of course, being from Sandy Fork, Delaware, and uh, wrestling a lot in the Philadelphia area. A lot of times in the Philadelphia area, you would hear from the Briscoe Brothers, 13-time Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions, the greatest team in Ring of Honor history, you would hear their slogan, Man Up. Well, when I think of the phrase Man Up, I think of few people who embody it better than my good friend who's here on the other half of Callous Remarks, much like how I had to do after the Cavs uh, were in the uh, 2018 and 2017 NBA Finals, much as he did after the World Series this past year with the Phillies. Joe Stazak, as always, preeminent stand-up guy, is here to man up and give the perspective from the Philly side of things and from on location. How great to have him checking in, uh, as, as he did, from out west uh, for where everything was going on. And uh, Joe Stazak, welcome in. I- I'm sorry, brother. I was rooting for your team here, and uh, I- I've been on the-, the receiving end of some bad football games myself. I grew up in Cleveland, so enough said, but... Uh, Thank you for being here, pal. Thanks for braving through it and being here. You know, you just you just hit on. I appreciate it, Rick and Steve. Always a pleasure. I, you just hit on something. I, I 
kind of forgot about the World Series recap. So now we have that. I had Villanova losing in the Final Four. Everyone tells me it's the journey, not the destination. You know what? Crap. It's the, it's the journey. Yeah. It's the destination. It's the ring. That's what you play for. But anyway. Yes, yes. And that's... Uh... As somebody who, as I noted during our preview, had it go my way in my fantasy football championship game here this year, I feel you because uh, you know, coming out on top, there is no substitute for that, and I know that's what you guys were wishing for. And uh, you know, there's there's an awful lot to get to, but uh, maybe we ought to just well, why not go counterintuitive and just kind of lead with the one thing that everybody's talking about the most, and that being the penalty call there at the end, and that was a thing where. I do think, because there was a thing, a lot of times I get a little smirky with some of the guys at my Super Bowl party, like, oh, all the prisoners of the moment are going to say best Super Bowl ever. Like, I was kind of snarking about that in the second half, that all the people that don't go back. My personal favorite, when we did the FDH Lounge Pantheon voting some years ago, I always say uh, Broncos Packers from the late uh, 90s. I thought that's probably still the standard to beat. But uh, there would have been a lot of people putting this game up there uh, no matter how it ended, until the penalty there. And it's a thing where I look at it, and again, I'm not a proponent personally of prison rules just because it's the last two minutes. Thought it was a little bit maybe uh, ticky-tack. The, the main thing is, and I know refs aren't allowed to take this bias into account, but I personally find Ju- uh, Juju Smith-Schuster to be such a shifty individual that like, I think he probably intentionally uh, you know, decelerated on something like that there. I don't think he was trying to... Uh, uh, you really catch the football. I think he knew he wasn't going to get there, but I think he was embellishing it a little bit for the flag. So I, I, I go back and forth on whether or not it should have been called. I don't know that it's necessarily an injustice that it was called because uh, the guy himself copped to it, but it's one of these things where it kept it from being one of the greatest games ever because it ended on an anticlimax. And for as much as everybody's trying to add the whole thing of like, oh, well, Butker could still miss... The commissioner of my fantasy football league was saying that. I'm like, buddy, come on, man. You're just trying to add drama into this thing. I mean, the, the game was over at that point, essentially. Although, the the point of uh, the line of scrimmage from uh, the play that set it all up was at the 15-yard line, I believe. So they were going to get at least a field goal from where they were. The key question is, how much time was Philadelphia going to have left here? And, and that's the whole determinant on this, is that uh, Kansas City wouldn't have had the ball like right down by the goal line and in a position of killing the clock. They would have been forced to score, quite likely, had they scored, giving Philadelphia plenty of time to, to muster one last response. So I think that's the whole crux of this thing here, too. Kansas City was going to score, but under what circumstances? So Joe Stazek, I'll lead with you, buddy. Uh, you're the one that was feeling it uh, firsthand watching it happen. Yeah, well, um, it happened right in front of me. The uh, wow, the, the penal. The, yeah, it happened right in front of me. And so did the other two plays that were wide open on motion um, you know, uh, drawbacks that the Eagles got, got totally confused on. It, it was the only stop of the second. It would have been the only stop of the second half. And then technically, I guess you know it was since they since uh, I guess it was Jericho who slid it to one. But that's you know they were trying to let him score there, and uh, that would have been the only stop. And I was. I was feeling okay. I was like, all right, we have, um, well, it was like a minute 40 with one timeout left, and uh, we were going to get the ball. 
I'm yeah. talking about the Eagles, obviously. You yeah. know, if, if Butker makes it, it, was a, it would have been an extra point from where they kick now, which isn't, you know, it's usually money, but he's he missed one against the Jags. I brought this up on uh, our podcast. He missed three earlier this year. So it would have been at least a little harder than I, I think he kicked it from the seven eventually because after Jericho slid the one, I think Mahomes took a few knees and went backwards a little bit. But it's still very, it's in the 90 percentile, 93 and up. So all that did was run out the clock for the Eagles, that penalty. And I, you know, again, I'm watching it a lot, but I'm watching a lot of things, you know. Uh, I'm watching a lot of different routes, and then I, I, you know, wasn't exactly centered on that. And I didn't think when I saw it later, yeah, yeah, he tucked his jersey a little bit and had a little arm run. That was, to me, that was nothing considering the consistency of the game. They let him play the whole way. The only interference or holding call either way was on the Eagles on offense on a little slip screen that the, the, the um, running back, um, I think it was Gainwell, got out a little too fast and started his block while the ball was still in the air. So technically, yes, that's pass interference. But other than that, uh, they let the players play. And I saw a thing, I don't know if, uh, if I sent it to you, guy Darius Slay today, and this isn't anything new, but he commended Bradbury for admitting it. He goes, we, I go, he goes we're, taught to, we're taught to do that. It happens almost every play. You're hand-checking, you're pulling, you're tugging. And my thing is, I go back and forth a little bit on swallowing the whistle. Uh, uh, here's my thing. If it's egregious or if it's obvious, like Patrick Mahomes getting pushed out of bounds, that, that you can't not call that. Yes, I mean, yes. my gosh, he was four yards out of bounds. But to me, watching it again and again and, okay, he talked to his church, I, you see that all the time. If that was a consistent call, I'd be, I'd be happy with it. But I'm thinking, what what on earth is the referee? What goes on in the guy's brain that says, you know, here's where I'm going to throw a flag, the first one of the game, on a ball that was about eight yards overthrown. Yeah. It was Mahomes' only bad pass of the second half. Right. And he had to have rockets on his uh, heels and his ankles to catch that ball. It, was, it wasn't It was like, a, you know, a guy's going up and you grab his shoulder, you hold his arm down, you, you grab his wrist. And, you know, they all have the cheating techniques down, but nothing like that. It wasn't a 50-50 ball. That, no, it was completely uncatchable and really did not affect the play. And for, for a ref to make it about himself at that point, you just have to wonder what goes what goes through a guy's head. I, I agree. Yeah, and I'm not a big fan of a lot of the calls here, too. I mean, as you said, context matters because they let a lot of other stuff get away. During the game, I, I will say, too, on a couple of things here as well, I did happen to think that uh, Nick Bolton probably should have had two touchdowns, though. So I will say that. I'm not I'm not saying it's a makeup call, but on that one, I thought the whole thing of like, well, you didn't have possession of it. And then out of bounds, I think, who was it? Uh, I think it was De- uh, Devontae Smith. Devontae that, Smith. I when, was going to bring that up. Because yeah. I, I don't, for being at the game, it was phenomenal, fabulous. I don't have the advantage. Of, dude, that's why I like to, especially when I'm doing post-game to watch a game at home, have yeah. replays, listen to the app. So I couldn't even tell you if the Devontae Smith was indisputable to overturn. All I know is if the refs are having to take seven minutes to look at a play, yes. it can't be that it can't be that indisputable. I will say this that there was a consensus at my Super Bowl party when I when I belched out my angry opinion that I'm sick of this Zapruder film type approach and like we're mm-hmm. trying to disprove that somebody made a great catch. 
I just on an artistic level that offends me because it's a great catch. It clearly was a great catch. And let's sit here and try to be prosecutors for seven minutes and try and oh that looked like a slight hiccup of a bobble. I'm sick of that. I like that one there. I'll give you that one. Bolton I thought should have had two touchdowns. So I do think that the the, the officiating kind of went both ways a little bit. Although the biggest call indisputably at the end and the one that helped it basically seal the fate of the game. Uh, Steve Callis, I know you've been sitting here patiently gathering your thoughts, listening to us on this, and I am really looking forward to what you have to say. Well, i got a few things to say. I mean, for 58 minutes, nothing, and then this, and a couple of things. There was a referee standing on the 15-yard line. The, the, the grab, tuck, pull, whatever you want to call it, happened on, like, the 14-yard line. The guy who threw the flag was standing on the goal line. He's 15 yards away. Yep. Back he threw yeah, the back 15 shows. yards away. So, as, as Joe said, the ball was eight yards into the end zone. And I don't know how the first guy, maybe he got the memo. We called the game the way we called the game. There were three penalties in the second half, Rick. Mm-hmm. It was a delay of game where the coach wouldn't call the timeout, but he had to call the timeout on the next one, or there would have been two delays a game in the second half. Right. The delay of game, Hargrove jumped the... Uh, Jumped the snap count and was clearly offsides unabated to the quarterback. And this call. Those are the three calls in the second half of a Super Bowl. So the other thing I saw that Dan Orlovsky put up, not a Dan Orlovsky fan, but he put up, there was earlier in, in the first, I think it was in the first half, there was a play where same guys, Juju Smith-Schuster runs a slant, Bradbury grabs him right in the middle of the field, um, pass incomplete, and... Juju's like jumping up and down, waving his arms, complaining, bitching and moaning. And then on this play, <laughs> the play that ended the Super Bowl, he didn't say boo. Right. Uh-huh. right. <laughs> no complaint. So you have the wrong guy throwing the flag. He's 15 yards away. I just thought it was a terrible thing because as I just, I got a guy speaking of sports with Steve Callis. He wrote, oh, the Eagles fans, they shouldn't complain. Uh, the Chiefs scored and scored and scored and... And, and I wrote back to him just now, just before we went on, I wrote back and said, oh, I don't think it's just Eagles fans. I think we were robbed, other than Chiefs fans, we were robbed of what could have been an incredible ending and would have stood, as one of you said, one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time. Yeah. But because the game ended on that play, either Hurts could have let him down the field, scored a touchdown, he'd be a hero, unless Mahomes could come back in the last 13 seconds or something. Or he could have tied the game with a field goal, and they would have had overtime, which right. I would have liked to have seen, actually, the way that Super Bowl was played. Or right. he could have not made it, and the Chiefs would have won. But to not have that at the end of a game like this, I'm sorry. I just thought it was terrible. And I don't know why. I'll give you one more thing, which was the smartest thing I heard anybody. And this is Rob Ninkovich, who's like an ESPN guy now. Mm-hmm. He like does, you know, He's on all those shows. He said, and how could you possibly wear green gloves when you're tackling players who are wearing white jerseys? If he's wearing a white glove, nobody sees it. Oh, wow. Oh, (laughs) my God. I thought that was brilliant. Yes, yes. Brilliant. And interesting, they had like two or three other pro football players on at the same time. I forget who they were. But one of them said, I think it's the Patriots. Because <laughs> uh-huh. that's I mean, the kind of thing a Bill Belichick coach team would have. They would have had white gloves on. Now, I don't know who you blame for that, Joe. 
Wow. But think about it, it makes perfect sense. There'd be no chance. The guy and, and oh by the way, Bradbury, who I love as a player, I don't know why the Giants let him go. But he had white sleeves on, right? He had white long sleeves on. Yep, he so, did. He was all white on his arms, except for his green eagles gloves. Well you so, know what? You're making me, now I really can't wait for the next season because I am one of the ultimate fanboys. The next season of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, there is going to be an episode called The Gang Fills In for the Equipment Manager at the Super Bowl. <laughs> It'll probably be built around <laughs> Well, it is interesting when you think about it, but I don't think anybody in the world but Rob Mitnikovich thought about it. You know, it's just, it is incredible, but I'll say it again. The referee at the goal line called it. And oh, by the way, if you watch the slow motion replay that they showed on the game right after, they're in the, the grab takes place at the 15. They're running into the end zone. And the flag comes across in slow motion while those two guys are in the end, end zone still seven yards from the ball. Yeah. So not only did the wrong ref call it, he called it very late. That was a late flag. I wonder if he looked at the guy in the 15 and said, oh, man, he's not throwing it. I'm going to throw it. How could it possibly happen that the guy who is the closest to the ball, looking right at the play, didn't see it, yet the guy in the end zone 15 yards away did, in a game when nothing was called, I mean, literally nothing was called except the one pass interference, which I don't even call that pass interference. That's like blocking interference. Right, or right. Um, but they literally called nothing. There were no holding penalties. Yeah, and I that's... mean there were none. So do you, do you think there weren't ten? You know, it's the old. If you if you got the old twenty two on this game and played it through, you'd find you'd find ten holds. Oh, probably. But the, other, the one the one other play I wanted to talk about, which nobody talked about, and I thought probably because it was just too close. So the first penalty in the second half that delay a game was called with six thirteen left in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. That's the one that made it Eagles third and fourteen. And then he threw that great pass to Goddard. Eventually, they got a field goal. But the play before the delay of game, Quez Watkins ran that, they called it a post, I'd call it a corner because he came all the way across the field. But he went all the way to the end zone, or to like, at, he, he tried to catch it at the nine yard line. You recall, he left his feet, it went off his fingers. Uh, I know Olsen said that's a ball that should have been caught. But again, when you watch the replay of that play, when Watkins goes up to catch it, Thornhill, number 22, who's guarding Watkins, grabs his shoulder neck, grabs it right before the ball gets to him. Now, you can tell me that's two split second and nobody can call it, but the reality is he got interfered with before he could catch the ball. Do I know if he would have caught the ball if he didn't have his shoulder, his left shoulder as he's reaching with his left? Do I know he would have caught it? I don't know he would have caught it. But if they call that pass interference, it's first and goal on the nine. Do they score a field goal or do they score a touchdown? We'll never know. And I will, final thing I'll say, Rick, I have to disagree with you on the second fumble because I don't even think the rule is nowadays may not have been for the first 90 years of the NFL. I would agree with you there. Okay. But the rule is nowadays you got to catch the ball um, two feet down and then a football move. I'm not even sure he got his second foot down. He got hit so well, perfect timing, but too early in today's world for that to be a fumble. I don't okay. think it was a fumble because it just happens 
right after the ball hit the guy, hit him in the numbers, right after the ball hit him in the numbers. But I don't even know if he got his second foot down, but if he did, he made no football move. He got hit immediately and All dropped right. the ball. Well, wait wait a minute, because I, I, I had forgotten about the, uh, the one foot forward thing. A second foot I thought was down, and I thought that would be enough. Okay, but I stand corrected on that because I don't think he made a move forward either. I will say also, too, on the thing about uh, the end zone, uh, and the, the biggest penalty here, the one that we're going back to at the end of the game. This is what you do, Steve Callis. You've brought me around. I was leaning the other way. I was somewhat on the fence, leaning the other way, justified. But uh, your points, I think, are very persuasive on this, and I'm with you. That situationally, given everything that you laid out, the way you just prosecuted the case here, I, I agree with you on that, that it was probably unjustified. If we're looking at the what-ifs here, I want to start with you, Joe. And it's a thing where th- there clearly would have needed to have been a you know, somewhat of a decent amount of my, uh, of time left for the Eagles to have been able to get down the field, particularly uh, if they needed a touchdown here, uh, because in looking at it, and again, uh, if you looked at a scenario where Hertz had uh, by far the better statistics, you would have thought that Philadelphia would have won the game. Statistics, uh, lies, damn lies, and stats, as we're going to get into a few things here on what you would have, what you would have thought versus how it played out. I mean, if not for uh, the one strip fumble for the uh, touchdown here, then you could be looking at a very uh, convincing case to be uh, Chuck Howley the second, essentially, right, and be the guy to get MVP off of a losing effort. But um, yes. if not for that, but the last pass of the game here, the old hail mary thing, and as kind of feeble yes. as that turned out being, like at the very end he could no longer disguise the state of his shoulder, right? So it's a thing of, like, he would have needed at least a decent margin of time to get down down the field because, as you could see, on the play where the season mattered the most, and, and again, it was probably already over by that point, but, I mean, you saw right there in his moment what the ability to take the top off was, and it was basically non-existent. If I could say one thing about that, I'm not sure, but a guy said afterwards on the final play that he slipped when he threw it. I, I can't. I, I watched it ten slipped. times. You, you saw it, Joe? I sli- he slipped, yeah. Oh, okay. Because when I watched the throw from my angle at the engine, I'm thinking, well, one, it looked... Have you ever tried to overthrow a ball or overthrow or overhit something and it just backfires? That's what I first I thought he did. Okay. And I was like, what was that? That was weird. But again, I you know, the game was over. Confetti's in my face. You know, you know what I mean? I didn't have the... And so, Steve, you mentioned it, and because... Yeah. I saw ESPN put together a bunch of clips about, I didn't realize how slippery the field was. Yes. The guys were still uh. I watched the last play again because uh, Mike, it was Garrett Falco, was complaining. He said, don't the Eagles have a better play than this? And Chris Sims cor- kind of corrected him, and he showed a replay of it. His back foot that he's, that he's throwing off of slips out from under him, and it goes back, and that's why the throw was a duck. Okay. Well, yeah, it goes back to the field. I don't know how a field in Arizona can be icy or slippery. Uh, and before the halftime show, forget about yeah. the divots, guys were slipping all over the place. It was a Pacheco scored the first touchdown on a running play, slipped in the end zone. If you see that he threw the ball, kind of threw the ball out, came out of his own, he slipped. Uh, I didn't get that at the time until, I, you know, again, there's a lot of stuff I'm not hearing as the game's going on, but right. they showed a lot of clips of guys slipping and really for no reason. Joe, yeah. if I could ask you this, do you know, so who's the guy who does the field for every Super Bowl? Tomo, is that his name? Yeah, the guy he's been doing like 57 years. Yeah, somebody told me today he's worked for the Chiefs for years. Is that true? <laughs> well, I, I do not know that. I, I don't, I don't want to go conspiracy theory, but now the theory is that the Eagles couldn't rush the passer, although we have to say it's the 
same field for both plays. Well, yeah, the Chiefs teams. are second, second league in sacks with 55. So right. It's interesting. Know, it might have them too, but that's, that's well, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I did not hear that. Okay. I don't know why the field would be slippery, though. I mean, well, and I think I saw on TV that it is Toma's last Super Bowl. So, I mean, if so, I mean, this is not exactly Ted Williams hitting a home run in his last at bat because that was a garbage field. I do think it was worse after halftime. They were making a point of saying that on TV. So, whether it be the extra weight of Rihanna's fetus that they hadn't occurred for or whatever, you know, I mean, who, who knows? You can't, you, you, you can't account for all these uh, extra X factors, right? But, uh, you know, as far as how it all lined up here, uh, now that's an interesting point as far as I hadn't factored that in, that maybe that throw from Hertz wasn't necessarily representative of uh, what his capacity was going to be. But, I mean, again, uh, for having the speed guys that he's got there, I mean, that wasn't like a major part of their attack, really, in the couple of games in the playoffs. I mean, he did he did hit the nice one long bomb to uh, to, to Smith uh, against San Francisco where they hurriedly got to the line of scrimmage because apparently it wouldn't have passed muster on replay. But, uh, you know, there was that. But this was the thing we talked about in the Super Bowl preview, and this is twice now in uh, the last couple of years in the Super Bowl that I have said Kansas City needs to do this, and they did, and they won, I think, in part because of it and establishing the run. We were all skeptical on this. We were all very, very skeptical that they were going to deviate from their game plan, and much like against San Francisco, a more physical team and a team where they needed to make sure they didn't get out finessed. The aforementioned Isaiah Pacheco, 15-76 of 76 for a touchdown. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, uh, a little bit of change of pace here, 4 for 34. And uh, again, uh, it, equally uh, interesting here, uh, 3 of 15 receiving, so they were kind of going to him underneath as well here. So using the running backs, uh, I'll start with you on this one here, Steve. The three of us, we didn't see it coming, uh, but it was effective, I think, much as it was against San Francisco. In that game, I felt like it was more rope-a-dope. They ran as heavily as they did in the first half, kind of got them you know, gassed by late in the game, came back and made the comeback. But this was a thing where it allowed them to be more balanced with the football in the same way Philadelphia was and not have the short drives that could have compromised them later. Well, I think we talked about before the game correctly, could, could the Chiefs stop the run? Uh, I think the story of the whole game is the Chiefs could stop the run, and also the Chiefs' offensive line was better. Yeah. I mean, I thought both lines were, I thought the Eagles would be favored, both offensive line and defensive line, and that is just not the way the game played out. It just didn't play out that way. And I think you know the numbers. Um, You know, Jalen Hurts rushed for 70 yards on 15 carries, but everybody else rushed for 45 yards on 17 carries. That's 2.7 per yard, uh, per carry. Mm -hmm. And and that, I would argue, although the flip side of that is, and let's not forget, the Chiefs offense scored 21 points. Come on. They had a strip sack for a touchdown, and also the the, the, uh, Kadarius Tony punt return, you know, they got the Mm -hmm. ball in the five. Mm -hmm. So Jalen Hurts, with all of this, put 35 up. Yeah, yeah. And, and and don't forget, credit to him, because they came from behind. Oh, the Eagles can't come from behind. Well, it's 35-27. Not only did they come from behind to score a touchdown, that, that lower your shoulder. Right. <laughs> lower your shoulder to get into the end zone on the two-point conversion. That was probably the toughest two yards of the game. Yeah. So I think I think I certainly thought they could run it. They couldn't. 
Uh, I certainly thought they could get to the passer. They couldn't. Now, the field was the field. I just looked it up, and Toma has worked for the Kansas City Chiefs forever. Okay. He's worked for the Kansas City Royals since 1968. Okay. And he's done every Super Bowl. Uh, but it was, you know, I just, if you go to the guy's Wikipedia page, you know, they have a whole thing already on the controversy, and all, <laughs> and all the Chiefs are complaining as well. So it was true for both teams. Um, so I don't really think you can, it's kind of a sad way to go out. But they talked during the game, I think it was about a college game, Rick. Maybe you heard, they, they were talking about some college game from a year or two ago on this field where things were terrible. And I'll just put in my little plug that I always put in. I think it's a disgrace that the halftime show is as long as it is. You play football your entire life, every game, with a 12 to 15 minute tops halftime. Yep. Usually 12 minutes, I think it is. And for the Super Bowl, that affects the game. I remember Belichick talking before the Atlanta game, and they had, and of course the the Patriots had you know guys who had been in the Super Bowl. So um, he said, really, when you play in the Super Bowl, at the end of the third quarter, at the end of the game, a regular season game, it's the end of the third quarter in the Super Bowl, and then you have the most important part to play. Right. So don't think that didn't affect. The Patriots coming back against the Falcons, because it did. Right. And it's just, I find it disgusting. Beyonce, okay, you could be a big Beyonce fan, it was great, but then Joe was talking about they had 50 people on there filling divots. Right. And that couldn't have made the field any better, so why do they have to do it, like, on the field for 30 minutes? And I understand, I think her part of it is only, like, 18, but we have to get the expert analysis. we got to get 10, 15 minutes of commercials, literally. Yeah. Come on. I wish they would fix that because that is no other sport can you tell me where the game is changed and the game is changed by being prolonged an extra 20, 23 minutes, in my opinion. And as Belichick said, because of additional commercials, I'm sure it's longer between quarters. Um, you're playing a game 45 minutes longer than you normally play, and I'm sorry, that affects the game. Right, and uh, perhaps the fetus is going to be named Beyonce, but it was Rihanna, actually, that was performing for the halftime show. So. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I even like Rihanna more than Beyonce, but thanks for correcting me, because I called up my daughter and I said, oh, Umbrella, I know that song, Umbrella. Apparently I was one for 12 on that as well, Rick, because I didn't know the other 11. Exactly. <laughs> well, no, you're, you can't make it up. No, you're not wrong about that. And the halftime show being what it is, and it's like twelve to fifteen minutes. That's one of those things where it's like it feels interminable when you're at home because you know it feels like you know you got time to like you know go cook a roast to, to eat for the second half, <laughs> go drop a couple splashers down the hallway. You're still twiddling your thumbs, but twelve to fifteen minutes—that's barely enough time to walk down there, maybe change your pads get your ankles wrapped again, come back out. I mean, for a player, when you think about that, yeah, particularly with the uh, the, the journey back to the locker room and back, yeah, versus how long they were sitting there for this thing. I'm very glad you made that point because it is super relevant, you know, to what's going on here. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, I guess I'll uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to remember it, uh, what what the initial question was I posed to uh, Steve, but uh, Joe, I think it had to do with lines of scrimmage and the running game for both teams. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. yeah, as far as that goes here, uh, let, me, let me get your thoughts on that and how the running games played out because I think it was very consequential on both sides. Uh, yeah, it was. I was more impressed with 
Andy Reid coming out and running the ball in the second half. Uh, when I say impressed, it was surprised a little bit. And he stayed with it. Well, and it worked. That's why a lot of times in Philly, the reason he got away from it, it wasn't working, and he got away from it quickly, I think, was the criticism about him. If the running game's working, not, not many coaches are going to go away from it. But he came out running the ball, and they were gashing the Eagles. And they talk about uh, an offense staying on schedule. It means keeping those down and distances very makeable so they would have third and twos and second and fours. And they did that all the whole second half. They just they – just Gashed the Eagles with their running game. They look, you know, uh, Pacheco and McKinnon. They, they actually they looked like they ran with more of a purpose than like Miles Sanders seemed to be a little out of it the whole game, and uh, and the Eagles didn't stick with it against San Francisco. They were bottled up here, bottled up there, but they kept they kept with the running game, and then boom, boom, boom. That's how the running game works anyway. It's not you know it, it's not just gash after gash after gash. It's usually three, four, minus two, boom, you know, and that's how the Eagles' running game has worked most of the year. Uh, they just didn't stick with it, which I didn't have too much of a problem with because I thought that the Eagles might try to attack that young secondary of KC, and they did, and they did a nice job of it. A couple 45-yard hits, one to um, A.J. Brown for a touchdown, Devontae Smith late in the game. Again, I don't have advantage of Watson replays. I haven't seen the whole game yet. I don't know how he got that wide open with five minutes left, but he did, and there was another bomb Steve mentioned earlier. Quez Watkins, that'll probably cost Quez Watkins his career here in Philly. The only two losses that Jalen Hurd started this year. He's made, made major gaps. If you remember the Washington game, he got up and got tackled after a long catch, fumbled, another turnover, right. you know, ended up, you know, costing him the game. He probably should have had, you know, like Greg also said, it's one. He's expected to catch, I think, was the way he said it. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he left his feet. Some people questioned why he left his feet. Again, I didn't have the advantage of the replay. Maybe he was interfered with. But uh, but I thought Hurts did a nice job with, with the big plays like he did before the playoffs began. You know, he was very accurate with the downfield throws, not so much in the playoffs, as Steve mentioned in the last show. Uh, I just didn't think they needed to do that that much. They were up 28 nothing on the Giants. They ran for 264 the running game, you know, was a factor against the Niners, too, except for that one play to Devontae Smith. A lot of folks think that Devontae Smith, the, the catch that wasn't challenged on the Eagles' first drive, might have had something to do with the way they looked at the Devontae Smith catch in the Super Bowl. You know, conspiracy theories abound, you know. Right. Who knows what the real deal is? I'd love to go back, and I will go back and watch all the replays and everything. Um but, yeah, I thought they were so outcoached in the second half by an Andy Reid team, and I factored that into the game. I factored in that Andy Reid is always good for blowing a big game somewhere along the line, whether it's clock management or a play call. But I thought I thought he was brilliant. And the two little the, um, the uh, motion plays they did, one on one side, the very next series on the other side. Patrick Mahomes, listen, um, it, again, it's like, you know, you have to win or play whoever you face, and, his throws, the degree of difficulty on most of his throws, they weren't. It wasn't that high, and it's not to take anything away from him. He made the throws, and I, I think I, I like to credit the um, the offensive game plan Andy Reid had. I'd also tell you that I thought Jonathan Gannon was awful. There were no adjustments after that first touchdown, the wide open play on the right side. Uh, I think you would get together on the sideline and say. All right. When they run that motion, you know, reverse. Here's what you need to do. Same thing worked. It worked exactly the same way. Yep. You know what that's supposed? To, they were in man coverage there. You know what that's called? It's called got coverage. 
I got him. You got him. He's got him. That's I'm not even kidding. That's how it's supposed to work. It's all got covered. You're not passing guys off on motion. You're supposed to stay with your guy. That's how it was supposed to look. They look completely unprepared. Here's one thing I'm going to criticize Nick Sirianni for. Because, uh, you know, I think he had a tremendous year. I mean, 16-1 with his starting quarterback. Gets him to the Super Bowl after he was about to get run out of town after the first seven games last year. End of the first half. And he did, for the most part, he stuck to his aggressiveness. You know, a lot of fourth, they were, you know, uh, perfect on fourth down conversions. Uh, they're 11 of 17 on third, which is very good. They went for it a couple times in their own territory. I know people are going to criticize him for not going for it on fourth and two and fourth and three. At his own 32, which resulted in the Kadarius Tony uh, punt return. It was an awful punt. We'll get to that maybe later. But end of the first half, they did drive down, and uh, Hertz completes a pass to Gainwell. At the 17-yard line, they have one timeout left, and there's 10 seconds left. You know, I'm thinking they take another. They should take another crack at the call timeout. Take a crack at the end zone. Hey, Steve, I think we talked about this. Maybe yeah. one or two more cracks. They let the clock run down. Excuse me, to four seconds left, and basically they were resigning the fact that you know what, let's get out of here uh, with a 10-point lead, which I thought was a gift because Kansas City was out time of possession like 22 to eight. Only yep. down 10, including the scoop six. So uh, I, I'm sure Sirianni felt good. I mean, I felt okay. I mean, they kind of dominated the first half, but I thought that was a chance to maybe go for the jugular there. So that didn't happen. And at the end of the game, this may not have mattered a whole lot, but I think little things sometimes should come into play and they should be thought of. After the penalty late in the game, uh, they give the ball to McKinnon, and the Eagles are going to let him score, but he slides down to two. That play started with 154 left in the game. The Eagles don't call a timeout, their last one, until 136. That's 18 seconds. Now, the play took about five or six. That's about 12 seconds they could have had back at the end of the game. Would it have mattered? Mm, probably not. But it's better than six seconds. It's better than six seconds left in the game. I mean, little things, you know, you have to give your team the best chance of winning. I don't know what they were doing there, waiting for that. They only had one timeout left. You're going to have to blow it at some point, blow it early. But anyway, those are two little things that just stood out to me a little bit that not a lot of folks are talking about because there's so many other things. There were so many other storylines and penalties and reverse calls. Yep. And, you know, just a plethora of things to talk about. And, uh, and Rick, right. If I could say one more thing, Rick, mm-hmm. that I that you probably saw that Joe wouldn't have seen, the whole thing I thought there was a whole issue related to the field with the cleats. Yep. Um, they they said the Eagles, so many of them had to change their cleats, and if you saw, they even put up a, a shot of like twenty pairs of cleats on the table there, and then later on, Aaron Andrews came on and said the Chiefs, none of them had to change their cleats. So again. Did they just have better knowledge of how the field was going to play? Because, as Joe said, there were Chiefs that were slipping as well. And, right. and again, if you go to Tomo's Wikipedia page, you'll see a bunch of the Chiefs were complaining. Uh, Chris Jones said it was like the worst field he ever played on. Um, but, but from a cleat perspective, which is also something, if one team didn't change their cleats at all and the other team changed 20 pairs, it looked like, on that table. Yep. That means something. I don't know if you can really quantify it, but that means something. In other words, for me, we've almost talked more about penalties and the field and cleats right. than about the total game. And that's just 
just so disappointing. Yeah. But of course, to me, still the penalty will always be, you know, for for the next few years. I'm not 30 years ago. Nobody will talk about this, I don't think. But for the next year or two, it'll be the Chiefs won the championship game because some idiot on the Bengals hit them three three yards out of bounds. Yeah. The game ended on that hit. And then someone's going to say, well, the Super Bowl ended on that holding penalty. Yeah. And that's how they won their last two games because I was talking to Joe when we did ours. The Eagles, it turned out, had like the easiest schedule of the year after. Believe it or not, before the year, they had like the toughest. When the season ended, they had the easiest schedule and the Chiefs had like the third easiest schedule. So Joe and I all season said, well, who did they beat? Who did the Chiefs beat? Who did right. the Eagles beat? They didn't beat anybody. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, and Cincinnati at least had to beat a lot of teams or at least play a lot of teams, and that's where it was kind of different. Uh, as far as it goes here, though, I mean, the funniest thing is, in retrospect, uh, the only asterisk that anybody's ever going to put on this game is going to be what happened with uh, the whistle there at the end. Uh, I would argue that if there was going to be something that symbolized a uh, an asterisk in the game, it might perhaps be a hypodermic needle based on the number of Perk Mahomes jokes that were circulating on Twitter in the second half. Right. Because I'm just going to say this: I'm not. I'm just going to. I'm just asking questions, folks. Isn't that the new tack for doing things here? Just asking questions. How does a guy, after having a disastrous re-injuring of his severe injury, one that caused him to miss time? come out better in the second half. He was better mobility-wise in the second half. We're sitting there laughing at my Super Bowl party. Like, he's running like his leg's not even attached to him. He's running weird. Like, he, you know, it was just one of those bizarre kind of deals. So just asking questions as to how that could be. Now, a longer halftime show could play into that as well, more time to recuperate. Again, that is something that shapes the game potentially as well. Certainly, inarguably, the longer halftime show didn't work against Patrick Mahomes, who we were wondering if we'd be seeing Chad Henney in the second half. I had to squint just to make sure who was going to be running out on the field when they got the ball. Yeah. So, no, that's, can I, that's, can a, I, that's yeah. a good point. Go ahead, Joe. Can I say something real quick? Yeah. I think it was a total BS job by Mahomes on the tackle where it didn't look like he rolled an ankle. I thought he was playing uh, the drama queen. Oh, maybe. I even got three texts. Even before I said anything, I got three texts from people who have no skin in the game saying, I'm sick of this crap with his ankle, and he wants to play hero, and he wants to be Jordan with the flu, which also was Willis Reed. a farce. <laughs> Willis Reed, yeah, Willis Reed had like two buckets in that game. Yeah, I mean, and I thought that Mahomes <laughs> is setting this, setting this up for a second half. If he comes back, people are going to be all over him about the ankle. I'm so tired of hearing it. I thought I didn't see much of an issue in the Bengals game unless he wanted to show that there was an issue. On that last play where he got hit out of bounds, I mean, come on. He looked like a Hussein Bolt on on that run to the right. right. And same thing right down the middle, uh, the the 25-whatever or 23-yard run against you. He looked okay to me, to be honest with you. So that's just my opinion. Wow. I think he, he probably, I think he's a good dude, I really do, but I think that he probably likes liked hearing about his heroics after the Bengals game. I thought he may have been putting on a little show there. I'm not going to well, lie. There was, no doubt, there was no doubt that was the biggest play of the game, his run up the middle. Yes. Um, where, they could, where they could barely catch him from behind is my recollection. Well, well yeah. Reddick looked gassed. He should be able to chase down Mahomes, but he couldn't. Exactly. But that, was, that really was the play that won the game. It's right. just that yep. the holding penalty 
ended any chance that the Eagles had. Oh, yeah, so. exactly. Now, I'm not going to lie. Had something heavy fallen from the ceiling on his worthless brother post-game, I would have been laughing. But, uh, yeah, Patrick Mahomes <laughs> seems like a good enough guy. You know, I can say, I'm looking at this here, uh, you know, can't, can't, can't say that for, the, uh, for, for Pat Mahomes' other spawn who's leeching off of his brother being successful. But another story for another day, I suppose. But uh, you know, as, as far as uh, final thoughts from a wild game here, we've had some wild thoughts from a wild game already, and uh, I shudder to think where we can go from here. I'll start with you, Steve Callis. Anything we didn't get to yet on your mind? Not really. I mean, it was Mahomes' ability to run was a big difference in the game, especially on their final game-winning field goal drive. Uh, but I do think too much of it, and, and I don't know how it can be corrected, because I'll say it again, if you could get these guys to be honest, the guy in the 15-yard line on the was going to go, oh, yeah, well, it was kind of a tug, but, you know, we hadn't called that all game. And the guy in the end zone, I'd like to hear what he said, because the head ref after the game said, oh, yeah, yeah, we met right after the call, and we all agreed that that should be the call. Well, hold it now. What about the first 58 minutes? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and somebody analogized, and I thought this was pretty good, actually. Somebody analogized that you have to get used to, for example, the strike zone in a baseball game. Every umpire has a different strike zone. Yep. I would have gone differently if you asked me. I would have said, when you're playing in a professional basketball game, block charge? Are they letting things go? Are they calling a lot of fouls? Are they calling a lot of blocks? Are they calling a lot of charges? You have to adapt to that refereeing crew. So if you were adapting in the Super Bowl, after 58 minutes, it seems to me you've got to go hockey, right? In overtime, they never blow the whistle. Right. I'm not saying that's what should happen here. I am saying if you set the tone for 58 minutes, you can't change it, in my view, with 148 to go in the game. So I do think it wasn't just Eagles fans. I think everybody kind of got robbed, unless you're a Chiefs fan, right. because I was thinking, like, if they kick a field goal here, what is Hurts going to do? It's, you talk about legacy. Right. Um, but, you know, I give credit to Mahomes. I don't know how hurt he was, but I give credit to him. Cause, and, of course, Andy Reid, you know, poor Eric the enemy can't get a job. He might go to the right. Washington Commanders. I don't know, Joe. Joe, we talked about the NFC East all year. I don't know what I don't know what Eric Bieniemy might be fantastic, but I don't know what he's going to do. He doesn't even have a quarterback there, but that's a separate issue. I just thought the end of the game was disappointing. Had there been a field goal with whatever Joe said, one forty left in the timeout, that's plenty of time, and I don't know plenty what would have happened. But I would have liked to have seen that happen. No matter sure. what happened, that would have been the end of a great game. It either would have gone to overtime or one team or the other would have won. And you would have closed it and said, man, that's one of the greatest Super Bowls ever. I will not say that now. I'm sorry. It would have been, absolutely. And the one thing I think we're all in agreement on is anything egregious at the end of the game, uh, the situation and the context doesn't matter. You throw that flag because if we're talking like – the end of the NFC Championship game a couple of years back, Rams Saints, where the one guy throws the Luthez press on the other guy. I mean, come on, you gotta throw the flag there for pass interference. But uh, it didn't happen in that instance. Something much, you know, probably like one tenth of that ends up happening here and helping at least in part to decide the Super Bowl. So I think we're all in accordance on, on at least uh, you know parts of what I just said there as far as uh, that being uh, the wrong way. Uh, I'll go back to you, uh, Joe Stazak. Final word here from a man who is uh, bravely coming on, sucking it up, and uh, dealing with uh, what happened with his team, pal. Any other thoughts from uh, the game and having been there? Uh, a couple things. I think that, uh, you know, 
The question is, was it a disappointing season for the Eagles? I, my answer is yes. You know, I mean, you could look at it a couple ways. Well, what were the expectations? They weren't going to the Super Bowl, so uh, I, I think they exceeded that. If you're going to talk about expectations, but the reality is, they were 16 and one with their starting quarterback. Breeze through the postseason, probably man for man, had a more talented roster. The quarterback played maybe one of the greatest quarterbacking show games I've seen in the Super Bowl in a very long time, maybe top five, top seven, and, you know, although you have to factor in the fumble. And uh, they didn't finish. You know, you, you got to finish. To be, uh, there's, so, there's such a big difference between losing and winning a championship. You know, your lifelong memories, you go down, your legacy gets, you know, bigger, and uh, the, the lore gets broader as you, as you go further down the road. They'll just be kind of a, a team that lost the Super Bowl, which is unfortunate because it's probably the most talented Eagles roster I've seen in my lifetime. And uh, I think they wasted an opportunity because they dominated the first half, had a 10-point lead despite the the, uh, the miscue by Jalen Hurts. And uh, they helped, they played keep away, which was the idea, 22-8 to and keep Mahomes off the field. Second half, they only had the ball three times. You had three series if you take away the last Hail Mary duck that was thrown. Three series in the second half. And they came away with 11 points. Whereas the Chiefs scored 24 points. 17 in the fourth quarter. You know, that's sometimes where, you know, games are won and lost. Championship, champions are crowned or not crowned in the fourth quarter. 17 points. I would say this, and it doesn't. It really doesn't bother me because I don't mind when other people make bastards out of themselves. Travis Kelsey would do better if he kept his mouth shut. He just, he just, he just, he just exudes asshole. Excuse my language. I'm sorry because I think he's a fabulous player and he's probably a really good dude. But he just he he calls everyone a jabroni. Yeah. Uh, you know, any chance he gets, and they were the worst parade sound bites I've ever heard. He's he's saying, "No, everyone, all the haters, you know, said we weren't going to make the play- playoffs." Who said that? Who yeah. said the Chiefs weren't going to make the playoffs? Who said? And Patrick Mahomes then ones up them by grabbing the mic. They're both drunker than heck, and he says. Uh, yeah, they called it a rebuilding year. Who called it a rebuilding year? What? Because Tyreek Hill left? What are you talking about? You know, they were the fa- they were a favorite almost every game they played this year. Maybe Sands the Super Bowl. Like, yeah. Well, what are you guys talking about? It's just you know, it's fine. It doesn't matter. But I, I again, he would just look better if he kept his mouth shut, looked pretty, and put up good numbers for you know well, every time out. My you- opinion. You, you gave me a chance to end this thing on a real high note here by recounting yet another thing from our Super Bowl party uh, because it, it, our commissioner, uh, my good pal Bob Bennick, at one point, maybe it was after the game with Travis Kelsey, uh, it, our commissioner Bob Bennick goes, those two guys are so Cleveland Heights. And we all just laughed because like, <laughs> it epitomizes that suburb of Cleveland. Like, and I never thought of it until that moment, but it's like, yes, he just, he nailed it. Like if you guys like you, and the funny thing is actually counselor uh, Callis, uh, you've been to Cleveland Heights. I think you and I have been there or at least the near vicinity when you've been in town. Yes. So we probably went to not too far from the old Kelsey household growing up here. Yeah. (laughs) You you just, boy, you, you just threw up the, uh, the lob for me on that one there because I'd completely forgotten that line. 
line. But uh, yes, for anybody that knows the Cleveland area, my my good pal, my close personal friend Bob Benick nailed that one. So yeah, they're very cool. And uh, as always, uh, you guys uh, nailed this one here. I knew that you would. And uh, what better way to wrap up Super Bowl 57 with uh, two guys doing, I think, the uh, the greatest uh, sports podcast out there, Callus Remarks, my good friends, and the longtime FDH Lounge dignitaries, Steve Callis and Joe Stazek. I want to thank you both so much for your time. Appreciate it. And thank you, everybody, for having tuned in to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1590.